Welcome to Drinking Bros, presented by GhostBed.com. Sit back, relax, and grab a fucking drink. Yeah, welcome to Drinking Bros, kids. We've got Clark Pennington on the show from the Independence Fund here today. Welcome to the show, friend. Thanks, appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Brevity. I know, (laughs) I know. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. Next question. Yeah, exactly. Happy to be here, Clark. I'm but very are, happy. are you here? I am absolutely very happy to be here. It's been I, a great week. So I don't know that you're actually here, though. <laughs> we do a lot of hardcore research on this show. People don't realize how in-depth we are with our research here. And uh, obviously, a spelling of a name is important. When you hear a name like Clark, you're wondering if there's a silent E on the end of that. There is not. There wasn't. Correct. Point for you. Now, flip side is... Typed in uh, Clark Pennington to the old Google machine. And you're dead. Do you know that? You're dead. You're, you're, you've already died. No. Thanks for telling me. That. I've got your obituary right here. Well, you know, oh. you said you uh, did in-depth research. By that, do you mean Googling his name three seconds before we started recording? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. Okay. Just uh, that's exactly clear. what I mean. Um, are you a U.S. Army veteran? I am. <laughs> Holy shit, dude. <laughs> He's dead. Nice. It's, no, this is not that. This isn't the guy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Have you ever been to Montana? Uh, have I been to Montana? Yep. Yes. Yes. I've oh been my there. god, dude, he's fucking dead. This guy's dead. We're talking to a dead guy today. What's what else we got? Uh, Riverside, California. Any connection there? Some. I feel like this is. Uh, do you really? I, I'm originally from Las Vegas, so I've been to Riverside quite a bit. You son of a bitch, dude. You're dead. You're dead. That's fine. Um, says you're a people person. I believe that. I met you earlier. You've met all of our, our people. Pretty friendly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah people person. Uh, and a storyteller? Uh, not so much, but uh, I, I've been known to tell a couple stories. Okay, because you're going to tell some on the show today. Okay. Well, you were the chief of police at what, Matthews? I was, yeah, PD? North Carolina. Um, oh, really? So you got to tell some stories then. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, in all sincerity, this guy's, uh, this guy's dead here, um, somewhere in Montana. Loving memory, obviously, of, of Clark Pennington. Different dude. What's course, your middle initial? A. No, it's not Ah, it's the J. Yeah, okay. But close. I think the, the J is soft, were, so it might you be You were this close. I think it was, it's, it, but it might be J. Anthony, and then it's a soft J. I'm not sure. I'll look that up <laughs> later. Um, where were you chief of police at? So uh, down in Matthews, North Carolina, just outside Charlotte. Okay, cool. We used to live in Wilmington uh, down there. Loved it. Yeah. Love North Carolina. Great Trying state. to get back there. Well, I like some parts. Yeah, well, I like uh, all the parts. I was in Fayetteville for five years. I oh, didn't, well. didn't really appreciate that very yeah, much. Sorry about that. Sorry Actually, about that. you know, it's funny. A fan mentioned uh, yesterday that, so we have dynamic advertising that runs on our show, so we don't always know what the ads are. Yeah. One of them was a tourist. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> this is the dumbest shit I've ever heard. It was a tourist ad for Fayetteville, North Carolina. Now, yeah. you've probably been to Fayetteville. You know what Fort Bragg have, is. yeah. What exactly would you, let, let's say you, gonna, you've got twins. <laughs> let's say you were going to take your twins on vacation. Would Fayetteville be on the list? Uh, not my top of my list. No, not at all. I mean, what the fuck would you even do there? Waffle get, House. Get stabbed? There's like, a bar. What's that bar we went to where they just let you dance on the tables? Oh, that was Max Speed Shop. Yeah. 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 So, but yeah, that's there's a, a Max Speed Shop there. That's a chain. There's Great a bunch of those. Yeah, there's a Max Speed Shop down in Charlotte. Yeah, there's, there's, there's one in North Carolina. Yeah. I enjoy it. Yeah. And their, their, their barbecue sauce is delightful. Yeah. Big fan of that. Um, but yeah, so Charlotte, uh, like I get down on, that's fine. <laughs> Raleigh's fun. Raleigh-Durham, all, all that area is fun. 
Uh, Wilmington's great. Uh, obviously, the Outer Banks and all that stuff is great. Asheville's super underrated. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, every time I go to Asheville, I enjoy it. Yeah, so actually, I've, I've been in North Carolina for about five years now. So okay. I retired from a police department up in Frederick, Maryland, uh, took the job down in Matthews, North Carolina. And just last September, I uh, got an opportunity to come over to the Independence Fund. So jumped on it, and uh, I've been having, having a blast ever since. Did you get the full 20 in? I uh, did a little over 21 up in Ma- uh, uh, Maryland, Frederick, Maryland. Yep. And I did a little over five uh, down in Matthews. Nice. So you get the full pension, oh, the, yeah. all the yeah. fun stuff. Yeah. Good. Um, because whenever we talk to, to cops, uh, either you know, out at events or on the show, it's one of those things where we ask the same question of, fuck, do you even want to do this job today, like in today's world? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, I know we're not going to jump too far into law enforcement, but uh, you know, it's, it requires a really top-notch candidate to come in and really police the police departments mm-hmm. and the cities. So, I mean, I know we're having a lot of struggles right now in law enforcement, but we are absolutely, and I say we because I still consider myself a cop. I've been doing it for th- almost 30 years. Yeah. Uh, you know, we need those, those top candidates to come in and really take responsibility, take ownership for what they're doing, take ownership for the policing of the city, take ownership for treating everybody equally and fairly and respectfully. So um, it's still similar to our military, really. It's a, it's a noble profession. So It uh, is. Yeah. And, and the thing that I said, because we had some cops over the other day the thing that i told them was in my personal opinion 99.9 percent of cops are great yeah it's the 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 point one percent that are getting headlines for whatever stories out there some horrific body cam footage or whatever uh but a lot of these cases yeah. it's people resisting arrest and then taking off and then it's like well shit you've already put yourself in a horrific position to start with this yeah. is probably going to end bad already and uh, I don't think it's entirely on cops. I think these cases that are happening around the United States, it's very small, but they're just, you know, exacerbated by the media. Yeah, but I think what you're starting to see now in law enforcement is really the accountability model, right? They're, the chiefs of police, the, the commanders are really holding individuals accountable, which it needs to be transparent, which, as you can see from the most latest incident, um, that's what it's been happening, right? It's, it's very quick. It's transparent. You do a quick investigation or at least as much as you can get to come to a point where you can determine whether somebody did something wrong uh, and then hold them accountable. And I think that's what the public expects from their law enforcement. Yeah, I do too. And, uh, and I think they're getting better about that. Yeah. So uh, I've, look, we got to hope for cops. We don't need to defund the police and all that right. bullshit. I could go on for hours about that, but we're not here for that. Right. Uh, what made you get into the independence fund? So as a, as a previous Army veteran and, uh, you know, coming from a family of veterans and really uh, just the, the calling of what the Independence Fund does, it is an organization that was really born in the halls of Walter Reed. It is an organization that uh, really looked at the need of our, our military members and our veterans and said, listen, what can we do to kind of help them progress forward, help them get a level of independence back that they might have lost? So when I say it was born in the, the halls of Walter Reed, it's, it's honestly that's where it was conceived, looking at the individuals that were coming back from Afghanistan, looking at the individuals that were catastrophically injured that really their their quality of life looking forward was a much different image than what it was when they left so when the independence fund is trying to bring back that level of independence to our veterans that's really what we're doing and and that was really the calling that i saw coming over uh part of what they do too is is not just the catastrophically injured uh when i initially came over i I led a a program called the veterans justice initiative where it's uh it's basically retired cops like myself um reaching out to police departments training police officers on de-escalation tactics when dealing with military 
you think about our military members, they're very highly trained, especially the ones coming back from overseas. You know, they have a level of skill set that uh, police officers need to understand. Mm-hmm. They need to kind of accept and they need to honestly de-escalate and build a level of rapport with them so that it doesn't turn into some um, honest, uh, catastrophic event on the street, um, a fight, an argument, um, maybe leading to uh, deadly force, those type of things. So that's really what drew me over initially. Uh, I've since um, taken on the chief programs officer's position, so I'm kind of overseeing most of our programs now. Okay. And uh, for you personally, yeah, what was the drive and motivation to essentially have a, a, a life dedicated to uh, helping others? I mean, let's, let's face it, you're in the military, then you're a cop, now you're working for the Independence Fund. What was the drive and need to, to do all of that as a a full career because let's face it, this is, you know, you're looking at 30, 40 years of your life now at this point. Um, What was it? Was your, were your parents uh, like that? Like who was the driving force for you? Yeah. You know, that's a great question. I don't know. I've thought about this many times in, in different conversations with people. I think the, the calling of serving others is just that it's a calling, right? So uh, I knew from a very young age, I think I was 13 years old when I told my dad, I wanted to be a cop. Um, so I come from a long line of police officers. My dad, my grandfather, my great grandfather were all in law enforcement. Uh, my stepdad was an army veteran. So that kind of pushed me in the army route to ultimately seek the other side of it. I don't know what draws it to me or what draws individuals like me into this level of service or, or position of service. Uh, I don't I, I just love the opportunity to kind of go out and do something bigger than me, be part of something bigger. Uh, and that's really what law enforcement provided me the opportunity with. And that's now what the Independence Fund oper- uh, gives me opportunity for. That's amazing. And I don't think I've ever asked you, what, what, what made you want to join the military? I don't like bullies. Mm. You know, uh, the purpose of power is to wield it in defense of other people, not to use it to uh, subjugate or prey upon people. And when I see people doing that, I want to kill them. And that's, that's probably the answer that uh, ends the show. Good night, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you don't negotiate with a fox that's trying to kill your chickens, man. No, I, I understand. <laughs> I think it's interesting you say that. I think that's probably an answer that comes out in an in-depth, maybe a, a more candid conversation mm-hmm. with a lot of cops and military is just that, you know, bullies, people that pick on others yep. or, or um, victimize other individuals, kind of being that person that steps mm-hmm. in and, and stops it. But that's, it's like, uh, th- I think it's the same kind of feeling that a lot of people have that are, uh, I guess you could consider anti-cop as well because they care about justice. When things seem unjust, people feel uncomfortable and you're going to have different perspectives on that right because of personal experience and and just how people raise what they think they know and all this stuff and how they frame the the situation themselves but people are extremely uncomfortable with injustice i think and uh, it doesn't i think it does no favors to to either side to pretend like that's not the case so when people who are conservative i guess are you know um, scoff in the face of people who are complaining about social justice issues. I don't think that's very helpful um, because th- it seems like it's rooted in the same kind of ideology. You know what I mean? We yeah. just There's different approaches and different opinions on how to solve issues or how to address things. But it, it, this is the same thing politically for me. I feel like most human beings, like there's the silent majority stuff, and I agree with that to some extent, but there's also the people who are most common on both sides of the political aisle care about the same stuff for the most part. And these wedge issues that get driven between us, that's our failure allowing that to happen, in my opinion. And I think it's 
you know, when we look deep into what makes, what motivates us as people who, you know, serve communities and shit like that, the smartest thing you can do once you start to realize that stuff is to apply that to what you think is your enemy at the time, right? Because you're going to learn a lot more about them and yourself in that regard, my opinion. Yeah. And, uh, and for you personally, uh, with the independence fund, um, when you get started there after doing a job that's so intense and then you're moving into a different, uh, you know, essentially career path in your life at that point, um, what's the first thing you do when you show up on day one? I mean, uh, you know, cause I, I, I'm sure you get that question all the time. Like, are you nervous? You're going to a more traditional job at this point. You're not going after the bad guys every day. It's quite the opposite, actually. Um, were you nervous going in on the first day? Not really. I think there is some correlation in what I do now or what I did as the Veterans Justice Initiative Director and what I did as a police chief So, and as a commander. You know, I ran a police academy for many, many years when I was up in Frederick, uh, really teaching police officers how to survive violent encounters, how to teaching police officers how to de-escalate and hopefully never get to that violent encounter. Um, I saw this as kind of the, the next step in that progression, stepping outside, taking off the uniform, you know, hanging that up, putting the badge away and really just stepping in and trying to figure out what's my next step in, in helping police officers identify de-escalation techniques and tactics, especially mm-hmm. in dealing with veterans who are in crisis. And really what we're focusing on when we, when we teach police officers these de-escalation tactics are veterans who maybe have PTSD, right, TBI, traumatic brain injury issues, and honestly, those that are suffering from substance abuse issues. A lot of the, 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 those three categories, if you will, a lot of that is deep-rooted into some of the stuff they might have seen when they were in combat, which ultimately when they come back, it's a, it's a very tough situation for them to kind of uh, assimilate back into society, and then more than not, they end up having encounters with police officers. So having police officers who understand that level of um, impact that war has on our veterans, and then how do we de-escalate that so that we can get them the help that they need? Think about veteran population, right? They're, they're afforded an opportunity to really be treated through the VA and treated through other community care organizations because of their veteran status. And to not take advantage of that opportunity to get them the help they need, rather than criminalizing the mental health issues that they might be, may be suffering from, that's really the goal of the Independence Fund, and especially the Veterans Justice Initiative. Yeah, and you know, with the Independence Fund, I think it's been going on, what, 15 or 16 years now at this point? Yep, 15 years. Yeah, 15 years. Um, how many people would you say that you guys have helped uh, oh, over the past 15 years? That's a good question. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I'll just going off of memory, we can talk about over, you know, one of our, one of our uh, staple programs, if you will, is our mobility program. It's a, it's a program where we oper- where we provide some of our catastrophically wounded veterans, um, track chairs, right? It's a wheelchair that it looks like a tank. It's got tracks on the side. What that does is it gives those veterans, uh, that may be, you know, wounded and, and are in an other wheelchair, the opportunity to go to the beach, to step out into the woods and to get back into maybe shooting sports or hunting sports. It's providing them that level of independence. We've given away over 2,600 track chairs since the beginning of the Holy independence shit. fund. Holy yep. shit. And those they're, are expensive. They're very expensive. Yeah, I think they're 15,000 a piece. Yeah. Roughly. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. And the good thing about that, if you think about it, is a lot of that's coming in from donors that we're providing to these veterans and giving them that level of independence. Mm -hmm. And then every time that another veteran sees a veteran who can get back into hunting and shooting and and fishing, because, you know, to to take a track chair down to the the shoreline and be able to to throw a rod into the the water by himself is is a huge accomplishment. So we want to provide that opportunity. Yeah, Yeah, we've uh, that's actually how Sarah and I met. We were uh, at Black Rifle giving money to them. I think as early as 2017, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. to, to do this stuff. Yeah, it's a good program. 
Yeah, and uh, I'm curious, has a veteran ever reached out to one of the donors and said, thank you, you changed my life? Or um, Because I, I know that would be the first thing on my mind, especially yeah. when we're dealing with equipment that is this expensive. Like, And you don't, a lot of these people, I'm assuming, probably in the back of their mind, never thought they would be able to do any of these activities ever again. Yeah, I mean, it's sometimes we, we are able to connect the donor with the recipient right there on the spot, right? So we just gave That's a, awesome. We gave a right track chair uh, just a month or so ago. Redskins the, game, maybe? Yep, the Charlotte Hornets game. Oh, the Hornets, too. Oh, yeah. yeah there was just, a Redskins game, what, three months ago? I think it was in November or some shit. Like yeah, that, Old yeah. Miss, we gave one out, I mm. think, in September. So, I mean, we are able to connect uh, our sometimes our veterans with the donors, and I think it's just an amazing opportunity to see the look on their mm. face when they get presented with the chair and to know that they're, they're able to kind of just progress and they're independent. Yeah. And it's... the. the the organization is aptly named the Independence Fund because it's about returning, you know, the ability to, to move around and do shit to the person again. Mm-hmm. Uh, something they didn't think they were going to do, but it doesn't stop there. I mean, they have um, the caregiver program as well, right? Yeah, Which so our is, caregiver program, yeah. you know, part of the mission of the Independence Fund isn't just to kind of help the veteran, but mm-hmm. also to help the caregivers because I think sometimes we forget the amazing amount of patriotic work that goes into taking care of our, our catastrophically injured veterans. And it's usually falls on a family member yep. or somebody else like that, a wife, a mother, a father, um, and a the husband. the expense involved, like that's something that a lot of people don't think about is, hey, when you are catastrophically injured and then you've got to go back home again, military is only going to do so much. And then at that point, hey, you're on your own. Yeah. Good luck's, you know, taking care of this uh, because th- those expenses add up quickly. Yeah, the expenses, the the mental toll that it takes, really the learning of a new skill set mm-hmm. that that caregiver has to kind of take on, uh, cleaning and packing wounds with that maybe that portion of it, helping them, you know, traverse, you know, everyday life, whether it be inside the home or out into the car, yeah. uh, new vehicles, all of that, the Independence Fund really steps in and, and takes an active role in helping the caregivers learn those new skill sets, mm-hmm. teaching them new skill sets maybe they weren't using before, whether it be financial, mm-hmm. um, you know, means or however it is that they're going to balance their books all of that we take on and we take it very seriously to ensure that there is a holistic and total approach to taking care of our warfighters and then not not just taking care of the warfighters but also taking care of the people that take care of us which is what taking care of warfighters and police is all about in the first place right um so this particular program has we'll get to operation resiliency soon but something similar where there were there there you know half dozen or more caregiver retreats across the country every single year as well, which is like, so it's not just about giving people the tools and resources to do the job at hand, but also to give them the tools and resources to deal with doing the job at hand. Like your, when your relationship with your fucking husband or child, or, or I I guess in some uh, it's rare, but uh, your wife becomes cleaning and dressing wounds and packing wounds and shit like that. It changes the nature of your relationship. Yeah. It, it can't not do that. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's asking a lot of a human being to do that without any kind of fucking forget about the financial support and the skills, just being able to process that mentally and having most of your life be dominated by it's like having a child, but forever. Right. Like, cause you spend those first three years just trying to keep that little bastard alive. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, and and now, then it, even as you, even as the kids get older, yeah. you still have 
you know, different worries about them and their what they're going to do and their skill set and yeah. building all that but stuff. But now, like, now you're dealing with an adult who you entered right. into a fucking marriage with at some point. And it's, it can be humiliating for both parties involved. Mm-hmm. It can be very stressful, obviously. And, you know, Sarah's done a really good job of organizing around that because she's experienced it herself for 15 fucking years now. That's why. Sarah Verardo, by yeah. the way, um, uh, who's who we're talking to, talking about there. Um, but with that, uh, as, as far as... Um, I'm going to go back to what you said about expenses and just yeah. learning how to balance books and everything like that. Like when you're overseas and, and you're fighting and everything else, it's probably the last thing on your mind. Yeah. Well, I mean, but we don't teach this shit in high school either. And this, I know this is one of the things we talked about at the panel, uh, yeah. a couple of weeks ago in Vegas, but it's something that Sarah and I, and you guys are going to work on and it's pre PTSD stuff. Right. And, and it's like, Give people the skills to, to process what's going to happen to them before and not just wait until they're fucked up and then try to handle it then. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, teach 17, 18, and 19-year-olds who didn't learn it in high school and have no life experience who now all of a sudden have a job, which sometimes requires them to deploy somewhere for a year and have no visibility on their finances and shit, how to actually handle those situations. Because just like not getting good sleep fucks up every the rest of your life if your finances are bad then stress starts to mount and those can be fucking uh uh you know precipitators i guess for suicide in a a lot of cases or at least depression and nihilism oh yeah because you know if you can't properly take care of uh the books for your family and your wife and kids and all that stuff that stress is going to keep mounting and mounting and mounting not just the stress not just the stress but feeling useless Mm -hmm. like as a man who is a fucking hard charger and you can't even take care of your own family. That's how it feels to you. I've been in that situation. It's like, that's how it feels like. I can't even do this. I'm a piece of shit. What am I even doing here? You know what I mean? Yeah. But we can prevent that shit. Yeah. And I think it's all about the, the dealing with it ahead of time. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I'll give and you a little bit of prevention, right? I mean, absolutely. Yeah. And I got a 20 year old son, active duty Navy right mm-hmm. now. When he left, you know, as a parent, you feel helpless and you wonder what that person, when he yeah. stepped in, what he's feeling like because he's really helpless and, and first time he's got his checking account. Yeah. Is. It's like, forget about sending your, sk- your yep. kid to fucking first grade. Yeah. Imagine yeah. them going to boot camp and you're like, oh boy, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Especially these days because kids, we're, we were different when we were young. You know what I mean? Like we would just disappear for a day and a half and our parents were like, oh, fucking, you didn't clean They'll turn room. up. Yeah. Nobody yeah. had me on Find My Friend. Yeah, exactly. exactly where they were. This is different now and I can't imagine sending a kid off to the fucking, to war right yeah. now. It's crazy. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, so we talked about the mobility program, obviously, and the, and the caregiver program. What's the family program? So family program is, is really what we're talking about in this, this perspective, right? Is mm-hmm. about giving the entire family the opportunity to experience, uh, you know, fun times with their, their family members. For example, I know the Independence Fund has done this in the past where we've taken families off to a location where they can actually enjoy a time with their parent whether it be their, their uh, father or their mother who might be catastrophically injured and actually get to experience maybe Disneyland or get to experience, let's say, a theme park or, yeah, or like, something to that like level. Rent a place out for the day. Sure. Oh, that's awesome. Families in, yeah. Yeah. It, it's really, it's, it's about dealing with the entire family unit, right? I mean, our warfighters are absolutely deserving of everything they get and everything that we can provide them, but so is their family members mm-hmm. who really, you know, look at their dad and they may not be able to say, look, what, what's different about my dad from this person's dad? Why can't my dad go do what other dads can do. So we want to show them the opportunity to be able to do that. So right. um, that's really, as, as we said earlier, it's just yeah. about dealing with the entire family unit. And there's no holistic approach without the entire family unit, unit being included in there. It's like 
trying to improve a basketball team by focusing on one player it doesn't work even if that's the best player you still have to have that team to fucking support everybody what's one of the coolest experiences you've been you've been able to to do for a family man i i guess right now just and and this is kind of going back to my days of the veterans justice initiative seeing uh a veteran father and i won't go too deep into this case but a veteran father 25 years in the army uh his son went off to war comes back had some issues with some ptsd and ptsd uh PTSD and TBI issues, and ultimately got wrapped up into a criminal case, right? Started to see that his drug addiction and his substance abuse that was related back to his, his service was starting to take him down a path where he was about ready to go away for a while. Uh, some of our Veterans Justice Initiative area managers were able to intercede, get him placed into a 12-week rehabilitation program where he's currently at now. Uh, the response from his dad is just heartwarming and loving and just appreciative of what we were able to do because his son did not need to go to jail. He needed to get help. Mm-hmm. And we were able to work that out, not only with the prosecutors, but with the judge and ultimately the VA to get him into some community care. And now that person, from what I understand from his father who talked to us last week, is doing a phenomenal job right now and is really seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. And mm-hmm. for me, seeing not only a father who served our country for over 25 years, um, did everything he could do to keep us safe, let his son go off to war and do what he felt was right for this country, and then for us to kind of give back to both, to me, has been a, a huge, huge input. So do you guys go into the courtrooms and talk to the judges? We will. Yes, and we have. No shit. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. That's but why- A lot of it happens in proffering sessions as well, too. Like yeah, we have, we have testified okay. in open like, court. You want, you want to get there before the fucking court- Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. But you have testified in Abs- open court? Absolutely. Now, the ultimate goal, I will tell you, under the, the Veterans Justice Initiative is really to um, get the, the veteran before they get wrapped up in the mm-hmm. criminal justice system. You talked about it a little bit earlier, a lot of the stressors that lead to suicidal ideations and mm-hmm. suicidal issues, sometimes it's financial. A lot of times it's criminal, right? Mm-hmm. When you start to get wrapped up into a criminal case, you're typically at the bottom of where it is in either your substance abuse issues, and now you've got additional stressors yep. monetarily, you know, going away for a while, maybe losing or missing your family for a long period of time, which starts to lead to suicidal ideation. So we, we want to get it before it gets to that route. We want to intercede, get the police departments to identify some of their veterans living in their communities that might be able to come back and talk to us so that we can get a hold of that veteran and hopefully get them into treatment before they get arrested. I wonder if there isn't some way to, um, you know, as cases are building early on to identify those people, you know, just to give police officers the resource to like search the dude's name. Oh, he's a recently deployed combat veteran. Let's yeah. let's reach out to these guys and see if he's not in the mix somewhere. That's you know? a, that's that's a great idea. We are also working with police departments now in North Carolina, trying to get them to identify all of their veterans that are uh, that they're dealing with. Right. Yeah. So we're trying to get them to add a a block in their what we call an RMS system, records management system, yeah, to really tag them as a veteran. Yeah. contact us see if we can't work with them to get them into some treatment before they get wrapped up into our cj system so i agree with you i think there needs to be that opportunity we are um we are opening up a lot of doors with local police departments i know Asheville. we talked about that earlier Mm -hmm. um buncombe county over there is is starting that they're one of the cumberland county's always done it because they have to because we're there 80 seconds there delta's there fucking uh, uh, what well, used to be two special forces groups plus SWIC. Yeah. So there, a lot of drinking related incidents happened in that area. Yeah. So for a very long time, Fayetteville PD plus Cumberland County Sheriff's Department has been pretty uh, cooperative, I guess, in helping make sure unit readiness stays a thing. Sure. Because we've had guys get arrested right before deployments and like, dude, get the fuck out of here. Go, go to war. Get out of here. 
You know what I mean? But this time it's different. It's about getting back to life. Yeah. And I think uh, one of the other facets of that training that happens, I think it's called CTI or something like that. They do CIT. It in, CIT, yeah. They do it in Virginia a lot. My buddy Bryce works on one of those things. Explain what CIT is uh, because I'm not sure a lot of local law enforcement around the country really knows about it because it hasn't spread as much from the, like there's a couple of really big ones near military towns in Virginia and stuff like that. But I haven't really seen widespread coverage across the U S with that yet. Yeah. So crisis intervention training is teaching police officers how to deal with individuals who may be suffering from um, mental health or mental illness issues. Right. And it's like, dudes, my buddy, Brian Paulus did this suicide by cop. Yeah, is the thing that happens. Yeah. I think that's what got the majority of really the push in, in specializing and training police officers on how to identify mm. mental health issues, and then how to how to build rapport, and then ultimately how to how to get that person into treatment. So that's really um, what we're doing under the Veterans Justice Initiative. We're teaching what we call a basic veterans CIT. It's basic okay. veterans crisis intervention training, where we are dealing with veterans who are in crisis to hopefully move that that ball forward. Right. If you will. And it so, gives it gives like. This whole defund the police, we're going to send social workers out to respond to stuff is fucking dumb and dangerous, right? But you do have trained police officers that if you give them a little bit of information, like here are some key indicators, like the guy's holding a weapon, but it's at his side. He's trying to bait you into shooting him, yeah. right? I think part of that, what you just talked about with the co-responder model of mm. dealing with you know, mental health professionals who respond with police officers, mm. there is, there's a need for that. There, there is, there is as, as a long follow-up. As, but, but as a follow-up, yeah. yeah as sure. a follow-up, there's a need for that. As an initial crisis uh, response, you're going to have to have specially trained police officers yep. knowing how to de-escalate um, and those type of processes. That's what the VJI, Veteran Justice Initiative, mm. is doing. We're training police officers on veteran-focused basic crisis intervention training. And we are partnering uh, in North Carolina with all of our community colleges, which, by the way, are the ones that teach our basic law mm-hmm. enforcement to our police departments. We are, uh, we've been invited into most of those, those uh, training sessions to the ensure... Post, when's you mean? Post A and post B and shit like yes. that? Okay. Yeah, yeah so that's we, cool. We've been invited into all of those, and we've been, we've been doing um, pretty good work down there in North Carolina. I'll be honest with you. I'd love to see the model replicated mm-hmm. nationwide because there is a need to really focus on uh, our veterans, to focus on yeah. mental health, decriminalization of that mental mm-hmm. health issue, moving it forward. Yeah, so. I think something like um, combat-deployed people who are now LCSWs, licensed social workers, sitting in the car until the scene secure. I like that idea. But this idea that traffic stops are going to be conducted by fucking people with graduate degrees in psychology. I mean, that's, it's not that it's stupid. It's fucking dangerous for yeah. everybody involved because they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. I think there's a lot has been thrown against the wall, right? And see what sticks. And look, um, good, fair enough. Right. Like I, this one, what I was talking about earlier, if somebody's bitching about something just because you don't like the conclusion they come to, doesn't mean they don't have a legitimate gripe. And, and if you ignore the legitimate gripe just because you don't agree with their conclusion, then you failed. You failed uh, uh, the community, yeah. right? You failed everybody that you're trying to help, so that you're so-called trying to help if you do that. You can't let that happen. Absolutely. We did not get the door here if you didn't hear. Giorgio, is that booze? Yeah, did we get our booze? We got booze. Nice. We did. Thank God. And Girl Scout cookies. Thank you. And Girl Scout cookies. That's wild. Yeah, they had to scan your ID. Yeah. It's- oh, no wonder he got real itchy over there. Georgia, yeah, yeah. I thought it was a cop trying to set him up. Yeah, we get it. We we've had a couple cops in the room this week, um, Sheriff Joe, and now yourself. We're all criminals here, actually. Yeah. So whenever there's a rap at the door and they're asking for an ID to scan, he's probably the last one uh, to do that. 
probably got some priors you're going to let that go today, and I appreciate that. <laughs> um, let's jump into the advocacy program um, on here, and you guys go to Capitol Hill. Uh, are you actually speaking with Congress and, and Senate uh, uh, regarding some of these issues and potentially trying to get funding, or, or, or who's, who's up there that's actually doing this? So we actually have a team in D.C. Oh, you do? Uh, that okay. works for the Independence Fund that really advocates for veterans on the Hill. They, uh, they really will uh, propose bills, propose new changes to bills, or we will review bills that are up for vote and really provide our input. Um, you know, you got to remember, Sarah Verardo is, is really just an amazing Gangster. advocate. She's yeah, amazing. She's been on the show she's, before. She's a gangster. Oh, okay. yeah, she's, she's, awesome. she's just an she's amazing awesome. advocate for veterans and um, just really taking her vision to not only work it from the top down, but also kind of bottom up. She so. doesn't take no for an answer on anything. Um, yeah, we, we've had her on the show before. She's rad. Yeah, I think- uh, but that's why I was asking if there was a team there. Uh, you know, having been there and, and Dan as well up to Capitol Hill. Holy shit, man. Trying to get anything done up there. If you don't have a team on the ground there, you're fucked because these bills and all these things are happening so quickly or they're being uh, thrown away so quickly that you're like, hey, hang on, guys. Right, let me just can I send some people over yeah. um, and, and chat with you about yeah, it? And it's easy for us to sit back here and, and complain that veterans are, are used as political pawns on a regular basis. But uh, and she would agree with that statement, but she doesn't give a fuck. She just goes there and, and she's a goddamn Terminator. Yeah, to be honest. Uh, and but you have to be. Um, because that's the only thing these assholes in D.C. will respond to um, is physically going up there to the door with someone in a wheelchair and being like, hey, here's the problem at your, your actual doorstep now. What the fuck are you going to do about it? Mm. Um, now, obviously, you can't say shit like that. Uh, but well, behind closed doors, I am assured that she was, w- would say something like that. Yeah. Yes. She, she's, uh, she's very diplomatic. I'll give her that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, what are the biggest challenges you guys face as far as the politicians go? Because it's not just Republicans and Democrats. Like, it's, uh, it's both sometimes yeah. that fuck over veterans. And, you know, what are the challenges you guys face uh, doing this on a daily basis with our government? Because, you know, Dan and I have said this a million times on the show. We feel that it's broken and that if anything actually gets done, it's a fucking miracle. Um, so I'm curious to hear from, from your side. Yeah, well, that's where we have, we have amazing people up there uh, in our DC office that really advocate for our veterans. And they are some of the smartest, most in-tuned individuals when it comes to the political process and how to really work with both sides of the aisle, because the independence fund is just that we are a very neutral, um, if you will, we we work partisan, nonpartisan. We're working both sides. We want to make sure that the best thing or the best outcome is there for our veterans. Uh, and I think that our advocacy advocacy team does that for us up in DC, um, you know, they're also working with the VA. You got to think about, you know, the VA is, is extremely large, uh, extremely bureaucratic, right? It's very, it's a lot of different layers. And to navigate that with our advocacy team, um, just working with them on, on new processes and new things that come out like our community care programs, right? Or mm-hmm. VA's community care programs. How was that applied? How do we actually, as the, the unit on the ground, TIF, the, the Independence Fund, how do we apply those community care programs? And we have our advocacy up there that really helps us connect with the individuals that make those decisions. So um, looking at this thing from a to- total perspective of working it from D.C. all the way down into small units and police departments within Charlotte and working it with you know caregivers and, and all of those aspects of it is, is what makes the Independence Fund unique. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm also curious as to when you guys get these bills and you go through these bills. 
Uh, obviously, the ones that uh, most Americans see are the ones that get press. Typically, it's from a celebrity or something like that. Um, there is sacrifices you have to make in these bills where you're just like, shit, man, that has nothing to do with veterans. Uh, case in point, the last one was a big one, was uh, John Stewart going up to uh, uh, Congress and Senate for, uh, was it the, the burn pits? No, it was for, uh, well, yeah, he's, he's talked about the burn pits, uh, toxic exposure recently, but the one piece of legislation he did move forward was um, the 9-11 uh, victims fund. Well, he did that, but I, I believe he just pushed through the the burn pit one. As I'm not well. sure that it's passed yet, but he's working on it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but but with that, um, you know, John Stewart came out and he's very well spoken, very smart guy, but was you know kind of pissing on these Republicans for not signing this bill and how can you not want to help veterans and everything else and you know initially that's what grabs the headlines and that's what the media will run with. But then when you actually peel back the layers of this bill and you hear the Republicans talk about it, um, I listened to a podcast with Ted Cruz who was talking about it. And he goes, look, if it was just about veterans in this bill, everybody would sign off on this. It's a bipartisan issue. and Nobody nobody cares. You know what I'm saying? So we're fine with all that. It's everything else that is cooked into these fucking things that they want us to pass that we just don't agree with because it doesn't have anything to do with veterans. You can name a bill whatever you want. However, when you start digging through all the pages and see which act, what's actually in there, yeah. that's what we have the problem with. Yeah. And people won't remove these different things because they're trying to jam in their own things that have nothing to do with veterans. Mentally, how do you guys get past that? Because you, you eventually do to get this shit passed or else none of it's going to get passed. Yeah, I, I think it's about patience, right? I mean, it's about working through each of the processes, each of the problems. And I know, you know, I'm speaking outside of my real realm of, of uh, expertise here, but from our advocacy perspective, they are very patient individuals. They are very intelligent. They understand the dynamics of how a bill gets passed, some of the, the stuff that gets attached to it that maybe doesn't necessarily involve whatever the bill might have been pressed to, but they are absolute wizards at processing through and working through those issues, at least to make sure that the veteran issues through the independence fund is brought forward to the forefront to make sure that, that, that if that is in the best interest of the veteran, that we're going to support it, that we're going to try and push that through. Or I'm, We don't have any voting power, if you will. When I say push that through, I'm talking about pushing through our, our agenda or our opinion towards it. Yeah, um, and, I, and the, you, you kind of have to reverse engineer some of these bills and be like, all right, what are we really fighting for here? And then once you go through it, then you can start picking off the people one by one that you think will support the cause in that bill and then kind of gain momentum yeah. uh, in those regards. So That's where having a CEO that's connected and understanding the mm, process yeah. really... Um, not only benefits the the organization, but it really benefits the veteran because mm-hmm. she is so connected. And you know, having Michael, her husband, who has gone through this, and she understands the entire VA process and understands uh, you know the caregiver perspective of it. It really gives us that that perspective that's unique. Yeah, uh, it's it's a amazing thing that you guys are doing here, um, and you guys are uh, like, I mean, there's a million job openings. I'm on your website now. Yeah, they just released a number of new ones. How big is it? Well, I mean, you can look at our programs, the the number of programs, obviously with each program, we have individuals that work within that. Um, We are growing because our responsibility to our veterans is growing, Uh, though Afghanistan has, you know, basically ended, if you will. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we're not seeing the 
maybe the catastrophically injured veterans coming back that we did uh, 2008 to 2010. But what we still are seeing is our veterans that maybe have wounds that aren't visible, right? Those TBI, wounds, TBI toxic exposure and things PTSD, like that. PTSD, yeah. right? Toxic exposure, burn pit stuff. Things that we're seeing, we still have a great need in our veteran community for TIF to step up and do that. So that's where you're seeing some of our openings, some of our uh, opportunities available in TIF. And if you're interested in learning about any of our programs, please go to our website and check that out. I'm sure Independencefund.org is that website. Um, yeah. Now, speaking of a lot of these other programs, um, there's the casework program as well, which I think might be one of the more, it's, it's one of the less, least talked about things, but one of the more important things I think that the organization does. Because when you get out, I mean, it was probably the same for you when you retired as a cop both times. When you get out, there's no like fucking guidebook that tells you what to do, what you're entitled to, how to get any of that stuff or where the resources even are in the fucking first place. Now, we all go through the out-processing shit in, in, the, um, in the military, but it's kind of bullshit, to be honest. And I know, well, I won't say that, but um, th- there's all sorts of different things that happen there. So service-connected benefits, your VA rating and things like that, uh, medical eligibility, so you can get v- health care from the VA and not have to pay through the nose for Obamacare for the rest of your life. Uh, the caregiver assistance is part of it. Um, Medical referrals, vocational rehabilitation, which is a program at the VA where if you're over a certain percent disabled um, and you can show that your disability affects your ability to do a previous job, they will re-educate you, including like graduate degrees and whatever Mm -hmm. else, and then find you a fucking job doing that thing. There's a lot of stuff out there available to people that one, they don't know about, two, they don't know how to use, and the barrier to entry for people like that that are going through that are so stressed out and have no idea what to do already makes it seem impossible. But to be honest, the things are pretty easy to do, right? I mean, you have to be patient sometimes because it's government and it works slow, but more or less, it's not that difficult to do. People just don't know what the fuck they're doing. Yeah. yeah, And I think I, Appreciate you bringing up casework because casework is probably the unsung hero in the Independence Fund. That's what I needed most when I got out. Yeah, and the the amount of work that they do behind the scenes to really help the veteran understand their benefits that they're Mm. entitled to. Because every veteran who comes out of service is entitled to To some level of benefit. Um, You know, depending on obviously some of their experiences, but they are entitled to some level of benefit. Our casework team absolutely phenomenal they are trained as vsos means they understand the paperwork that has to go in to apply for uh disability and then to maybe increase disability all of those those opportunities that maybe we seem or we think become daunting as the individual getting out no they do that shit every day every day that's that's the thing too because you go to the va there's something wrong on your paperwork and you got to wait three more months for a fucking interview or or uh appointment and you're like fuck this i'm not doing this yeah but they know how to do that shit. Not only do they know how, they'll get you in there quicker and they'll get the paperwork done correctly. And, and here's another key point of this whole process too from the Independence Fund. There are companies out there that will do this, right? There mm-hmm. are there are for-profit companies that will help a veteran navigate the VA. We will do it for you absolutely free. We don't take a percentage. We don't take a portion of it. We don't ask for a penny. It's, an, it's a benefit that the, the, uh, the veteran is entitled to and our casework team will do it free of charge and we're constantly, we're asking to bring in more people under the fold to try to help them uh, increase their disability or even to apply for it. Yeah, and I, I think it's really important because there are law firms that are specifically set up to take a percentage of what the veteran should be getting saying, I don't know, we'll do the case for you. It's totally fine. We're just going to take X amount of dollars of whatever you get for the rest of your life. Um, and a lot of people don't know that. The other the part about this, uh, the paperwork, not only is it uh, tedious, 
and very time consuming. But if you answer a question incorrectly on there, then they'll knock your benefits down. Um, And that is life-changing money in some instances, especially when you're just trying to get by on a monthly basis. How does somebody out there uh, who maybe just got out and is looking for this type of help find you guys for this? Just going to independencefund.org? Yep, just go right under our website, go under casework, contact us, contact us. We will get you in contact with one of our caseworkers. And I'll be honest with you, we are, we are uh, pretty astute to this process and this problem. So we are really within contact of our veterans in a very short period of time. Anywhere from 48 to 72 hours is what we like to get back to our veteran to at least let them know that we've received their request. We are going to work their process. We want to interview them and figure out exactly what they've experienced and what we can do um, to kind of either get them benefits or to increase their benefits. And and sometimes it's not even benefits. Sometimes it's just navigating the VA system. Sometimes it's just navigating community care. You know, hey, I went in, I tried to get mental health um, treatment. I'm really feeling like I need to talk to somebody and the VA pushed me back six months. They can't see mm-hmm. me or, you know, they're not able to get me in because I haven't received my certain benefit letter yet. Right. And therefore I can't receive that or level of treatment. Well, referral or whatever the correct. Fuck is, and, yeah. and anybody who leaves uh, the military combat, especially within five years is eligible for that treatment immediately. And we are able to help them kind of process and understand what their benefits they're entitled to. And, and I think that's where our casework team is the unsung hero, because these people are maybe not openly or have, you know, missing a limb or an, uh, you know, an eye or, or something like that, they're really struggling internally. And that's where casework is. The, I mean, the if hero. you look at the people who commit suicide after the military, it's not primarily people who are losing limbs. Yeah. It's not that person. It's somebody whose brain is fucked up. And, I mean? and the VA is doing a, a, a good job. They are expanding their program. It's definitely better to, than it was like in 2012. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they're expanding programs yeah. to try to help out. So, you know, we're losing about 25 veterans a day. Mm-hmm. We're losing, we lost 71,000 veterans since 2010. Which is more people than we lost in the entire Vietnam War, right? Mm-hmm. It's 10 times more people than we lost in either Iraq or Afghanistan. So why isn't the number changing when you see the 22? Why isn't it going up? Why, doesn't, why aren't more people talking about it, uh, that it's getting worse? You know, that's a great question. I think I mean, that's it's up too. It's up not just in veterans, it's up in active duty service members, mm-hmm. 80% or we something like that. We talked about that on the show a few it's weeks ago, in, yeah. But it's up even higher in reservists, which is yeah. alarming, right? Because it doesn't necessarily mean that it is combat exposure anymore that's doing it because reservists are killing themselves at a greater rate than people who are actually active duty going, still doing deployments. You know what I mean? That, that, that's very alarming to me. Yeah, the, the answer to that why, I, you know, I think that's what we're here to kind of help process forward. That's what we did at SHOT Show. We're really bringing forward a conversation about veteran suicide to make it something that we need to discuss. We need to talk about what it is and why an individual is starting to have suicidal ideations. Is it, is it service? Is it combat related? Maybe sometimes it's not combat related. Some of, some of the issues that some of our veterans are, are experiencing could be deep rooted from when they got into the military. And from then, before, yeah. Correct. We talked back, about that yeah. at, the, at the thing. Like a lot of that stuff. You, you come in, like, look, one of, the, one of the primary indicators of whether or not somebody's going to be a successful uh, tier one or tier two operator for whatever reason uh there's there's plenty of exceptions but uh fatherless homes or dudes that didn't have good relationships with their dads Mm -hmm. right so now you put these guys through 2000 explosions in gunfights and all this other stuff and their brains all rattle what do you expect is going to happen mental health issues just like any other health issues compound over time 
So and that's why you guys have Operation Resiliency. Yeah. And I remember talking to Sarah about this a while back, and she had one of the uh, most sobering statements I've ever heard. Um, she was telling me about um, going to a funeral for one of her husband's friends and, uh, who had committed suicide. And one of the guys looked at somebody else there and I said, hey, I'll see you at the next one. And I was like, shit. I mean, that's, that's pretty dark. Um, but uh, that's why you guys are doing this. Um, what are you guys putting in place and what type of programs are out there if somebody is having problems or thinking about committing suicide? How do they reach out to you and get a hold of somebody immediately? Yeah, so if, if that story doesn't give you chills every time you hear it, I've heard it 20 times, right? Um, if, you don't, if you don't listen to what, what that story really brings to you is that a veteran says to his other veterans, hey, I'll see you at the next one, mm-hmm. the next suicide, that's when we'll get back together. That's what Operation Resiliency really is, is trying to leverage. There's a camaraderie between soldiers, airmen, marines, sailors. There's this camaraderie that's built during wartime. There is this camaraderie that I've got your six. You've got my back. I've got your back. We start to really um, you know, bond over an experience. And that, whether it be military service, yes, but combat service particularly, we start to bond over that service. So when we're there and we are like-minded and like-experienced and things that, that I may be struggling with, if I know you're there and you have experienced it or at least you understand what I've gone through and what I'm going through, you become that person that kind of can maybe say, hey, maybe we need to go talk to somebody. Hey, maybe we need to, 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 to address these feelings that you're having. Whereas if I'm, I'm having these feelings about past wartime experiences or, or something that, that maybe somebody who's never experienced that doesn't quite understand what I saw or what I went through, it becomes difficult to, to really process that. Yeah. So Operation Resiliency is about bringing individuals back together, giving them an opportunity to rebuild that bond that's already there, and really to try to process through the, those connectivities, right? Um, you know, we've, we've done it over 400. We've had over 400 participants in Operation Resiliency as a result of that experience you just said. Yeah, and it's like there's a lot of misconceptions about what uh, veterans deal with after the fact what it is how to how to treat it and stuff i mean it's like even even from the camaraderie standpoint a lot of people think it's like oh i've i've got my support system again i've got my buddies to lean on again and i'm not sure that that's really accurate like if you ask a guy who's done war why he did it you get you'll get some varied answers but one of the answers that'll be that'll be crammed in there with everything else will be i did it for the guys next to me right so when you get back in these situations, I don't think what you lose is your support system. I think what you lose is the very real, direct, and immediate sense that you're responsible for the welfare of other people. Because that's what defines a man, is, is building a family and uh, a community and being responsible for them to provide and protect for them, right? And when you lose that, you lose all hope. It's, it's the nihilism that, that is defining this current generation, not just of warfighters, but of everybody. I think it goes back to the we open up the, the conversation, right? Talking about why why do we do what we do? I mean mm-hmm. that that is exactly it. Taking care of and helping other people process through issues. So you bring these guys back together in Operation Resiliency and they remember like, oh, it's not just me suffering. I've got responsibilities here. Hey, my buddy's worse off than me. I need to go help him instead of thinking about myself. And it's not just about it's not about distracting yourself from your own problems. It's about realizing that these problems don't get better with time bad news doesn't get better with time they get better when you fucking address them and you address them by 
doing the things that got you there in the first place, which is to say being responsible for the people around you, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, something else you guys do uh, that I, I find uh, just absolutely amazing is this thing called a live day. Um, talk to us about a live day. Um, oh, the, the live day. So, um, for example, um, one of the, the issues I think what you're, you're referring to is, like, for example, Michael, Michael Verardo, mm-hmm. um, his live day would be the day that, that basically when he got injured, he should not have been here. But every year after that becomes his live day, right? So he is here nine He's years. He's alive. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We should celebrate that, right? We should be celebrating everything that these individuals did for not only our country, but for our, our, our ideology of freedom. You know, we should be celebrating that. So, um, um, I think it's also a way for us to remember what our veterans are doing out there, especially our combat veterans. So North Carolina passed um, a uh, bill just a couple of years ago where we will celebrate our wounded heroes. And this year will be our third year, our w- Wounded Heroes Day, where we will celebrate our heroes and, and those that were wounded in combat as their live day. Because I, I, me personally, like, you know, we joke about this on the show often. You know, every day you wake up, there's some, it's Pikachu Day. Or, you know, today's national pizza day. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, God damn it. Jared and it's like, dude, that's every day. Jared, I don't need to. Jared and Jericho are, are going to all the quote unquote best pizza places of Salt Lake City today. <laughs> is and there one? Me. No, there aren't any. No. <laughs> no. But a live day is a great one. Like that should actually be passed in Congress. I, I think where it's just like, Hey, let's celebrate the day that you're alive and you yeah. thought you weren't going to be anymore. And I think that would be something worthy to pass and uh and promote rather than pizza day oh god i think really looking at what north carolina is doing with our wounded heroes day and celebrating our wounded heroes and and you know really giving them an opportunity to be to be lifted up where they should be lifted up which is to the highest level of either government uh, local government state government and also in the hearts and minds of, of everybody that should be remembering what they did yeah because on on your website and everything else uh you guys have some some youtube links if you're out there uh and want to check it out on uh, independencefund.org um you have actual veterans describing their alive day um and some of the videos are unbelievably moving and the more and more people that are able to to share their stories like this um i just think it's a, a very positive way to look at a very horrific situation and realize how lucky you are uh, even though you went through something extremely well, reg- traumatic. Regardless of how traumatic your life may or may not have been, everyone's lives are ultimately defined by how they traverse and navigate whatever bullshit comes their way, mm-hmm. right? Like you will be defined by your resiliency as a human being at the end of the day. So it's not just about like somebody's having a bad day. To them, that feels like the worst day for them. And it's going to feel identical to the worst day for you, even if your worst day was quite a bit worse than theirs. Right. You know what I mean? So we, we define ourselves by how we're able to overcome this shit. And, you know, talking about it is the only way you do that. Like you, you give it context. You're like, you know what? That was fucked up. Right, and that's cool. that's now really I the, can move on. You that's the I mean? push behind Operation Resiliency, right? We're bringing back um, all levels of that unit, right? We're not just bringing back your your squad leader mm. down to the private who might have, have been injured. We're bringing back command sergeant majors. Mm. We're bringing back first sergeants. We're bringing back company commanders and battalion commanders to really understand and, and to to talk through some of the issues and identify ways of taking care of each other. And you guys have some huge sponsors here. Um, I mean, it's. It's massive. Like you've got American Airlines uh, behind you on uh, on a lot of this stuff. Fox is on there. 
Um, how are these conversations go behind closed doors with some of these executives? Are you guys the ones doing them yourselves? Are you bringing other people with you? Maybe some people that, that just got out and are looking to get in uh, for some jobs at some of these companies. How does that work when you talk to some of these huge sponsors? Well, there is no better person that can sell the independence fund and our mission and what we do than Sarah Verardo. She understands it because it her vision and her direction for the company or mm-hmm. for the organization, I should say, her direction for the organization is the route that we are going. So, you know, I, I don't sit in these meetings with American Airlines and Fox. I mean, those are all conversations that are had with our board of directors and had with, with Sarah so, because really those are, those are the opportunities to really expand and, and to push uh, the message of the Independence Fund. My job as the chief programs officer is really to make sure that the programs that we've put in place are operating mm-hmm. effectively. Well, yeah. let's, I want to I talk a little bit more in depth about what exactly Operation Resiliency is. So a company-sized element, so the, cap, the captain, the commander, and the first sergeant typically, or maybe some higher-level folks, um, and everybody on down who was able to make it, attends a, f- a four-day retreat at no cost to them, airfare, lodging, food, everything's covered. Um, it's a no-booze event, right? Okay. Like clarity, there's workouts in the morning, you're going to do PT, uh, you're going to do some uh, some training classes and stuff. Give us a little bit more in-depth about what exactly happens over that four-day period because one of the reasons you're on here today is because we need more units to send through this program. Yeah, I think, thank you. That's yep. absolutely the, the whole reason behind this, I think, is really to push Operation Resiliency. You know, it was a an amazing success in bringing together multiple units. As I told you, we've done this to over with over 400 uh, individuals coming to Operation Resiliency retreats to, to try to um, work through some of these processes. But we are looking for additional units. Uh, an individual who might be out there who served in a, a combat unit uh, maybe is starting to see or hear about or even fearful of somebody within those units that might be uh, contemplating or have committed suicide, right? Those those levels of stressors. We want to bring those units back together. One of the other positives about the uh, Operation Resiliency is we go where the unit needs us. We don't bring them to Charlotte because it's easy for us and it's in our backyard. Mm -hmm. We go to Texas. We go to Florida. We go to Virginia. We'll go to Montana. We'll go to California. Wherever the units are located that that really are needing the opportunity to express and to um, converse about the, the experiences that they had and work through some of these processes, we're going there. I love that you pointed it out. Again, this is completely free. We don't charge a penny for this. This is all um, brought to the unit with the opportunity of lowering that 25 a day or 22 a day. I know it was, was typically out there, but 25 a day suicides mm-hmm. were really attempting to lower that number and, and bring some opportunity where some of our, count, our, our, our counselors or individuals who are leading these sessions can really help individuals identify some of the past trauma mm-hmm. that might have, have happened that they aren't even really understanding how it really impacted them. Because the first step to really uh, being resilient is understanding what it is that happened. And sometimes we, we push all that down. I mean, you've, you've talked about being a man and, and where we go and things that are expected of us. And we start to push those things down. And during these sessions, uh, workout sessions where you get people back together again, or you get some, you know, individuals talking about past experiences, they start to say, I remember that. And then they, you start yeah. to see some of that emotion. Come I'll, through. I'll say this about the man thing and pushing stuff down. It's, it's tough to go into a gunfight with a fucking sprained ankle or sore knees or some shit. It's fucking stupid to do it with a broken leg. There's a limit to which you can push yourself. And 
I, 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 I'm very turned off by the, the entire, the whole self care bullshit we're into these days where everybody's focused on themselves because everything meaningful you do in your life will be in the service of other people. But you can't do any of that shit if your shit's all fucked up. You can't. You got to get yourself right so you can help other people. It's just the way it is, man. It doesn't make you tough to suppress your emotions and pretend like everything's okay. It's fine to not be okay. It's not fine to pretend like you're not. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, that, that's bullshit. Like you, gotta, you, you have to take care of yourself so that you're fucking operational. That's just the way it is. Where's the next event located and how can people sign up for it? So that's kind of the process and, and what we're here looking for is to bring on that next mm-hmm. unit. So we well, I all, think there's one in March. There's some event in March, right? So in we have Austin? a couple of different events yeah. scheduled. So February 23rd, we will be on Fort Bragg okay. uh, talking about Operation Resiliency. We call it a summit where we will be taking to some of these warfighter communities some of the opportunities that they have. Because remember, this is also supported through DOD. Mm-hmm. DOD supports Operation Resiliency. VA has has supports Operation Resiliency because it does have a, um, a track record of working. Um, and so they're we're, sending counselors and stuff to the events and whatnot. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but yeah, so we're, we're going to be at Fort Bragg, uh, February 23rd, uh, talking about Operation Resiliency. Mm-hmm. We do have another opportunity. We're going to do another panel discussion down in Austin. I, I believe, on the 11th. The March 11th yeah. uh, is that date. We are looking to expand some of our summits um, where we're, we're taking the, not only the panel discussions, but about Operation Resiliency to Bozeman, Montana. Montana, yeah, Utah. hopefully on the 18th for Bozeman of March, but we'll see. We're still working on that one. Yeah. We're, we're looking at, I think, seven or eight different places. Some, some Utah, like that. Florida, North Carolina, some yeah. of the other areas. So we are really Colorado, hot and heavy. Colorado. Is one of them, yeah. mm-hmm. We are hot and heavy on this right now. Yeah. We really want to make sure that there are units out there that need this opportunity to come together and continue to build that bond that they, they might have began bu- begun building or did build when they were in combat. So we're, we're definitely pushing these things uh, hot and heavy right now. Well, how do you, uh, do you guys reach out to them or do they reach out to you um how does that work exactly on the back end of it um do they come directly to the website or are you guys seeking them out personally so we're, we're doing a little bit of both, right? Okay. So we are, we are asking anybody who has a unit, uh, maybe they serve with or a family member serve with that they know if people are struggling, go to our website, bring it to our attention. We will reach out and we will do all the legwork to try to pull that, that together for them. Um, but we are also going to our summits like Fort Bragg, North Carolina, Colorado, Utah, Bozeman to really try to make sure people know that we're out there. And then sometimes we get somebody comes to us and says, Hey, I've got a unit for you. Maybe you could, you could work with us. And those are the units that we want to step into. We can do up to six unit or, uh, sorry, six, uh, um, retreats this year. Mm. I mean, oh, we great. are we are posed and poised, and we are ready to do it right now. That's awesome. Uh, I want to spotlight one of your board of directors, okay? If you don't mind, sure, because he was on the show, okay? Sean Spicer, okay? Hmm, spice spice dog. dog, yeah, Spice Dog. Um, very very famous episode we did with Spice Dog. Uh, we still encourage everybody to go to his Instagram and and just put hashtag, hashtag spice, spice Dog, dog yeah. on just on every single but post he has. He loves it and he, he's he fine does. with he, it. He texts me every now and again. He goes, "People are still fucking calling me Spice Dog." Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> how how did you guys uh, get involved with with Spicer? I know he's a veteran as well, um, but how did that take place? And uh, and how did you get him on your board of directors? Yeah, I think you're going a little deeper than my my knowledge band will will take us through. So um, again, that's that's a Sarah connection, I believe, or at least the the board of directors and the mission of TIFF really draws a lot of, of our our support to us. Whether you look at American Airlines, you look at Fox, you know, when when I I believe years ago uh, the, the story was that once we um, we had a. a a TV, or I'm sorry, a news story about our track chairs. As soon as that was was kind of posted up on Fox, that's when the program really just took off. Mm-hmm. So I think 
TIFF sells itself. The The mission of what we do sells itself. The mission of taking care of not only our warfighters, but the family and the caregivers, it speaks for itself. So um, that's kind of the, the, the mission and how I got involved. It spoke for itself. When I heard about it, I wanted to be part of it. I wanted to step in. I was looking for my next big service mo- motion, and some of our board of directors are, are basically the same way, I'm sure. Yeah, and, and the reason with, with Spice Dog in particular <laughs> is – uh, what you see on TV is not necessarily always what you get with him. We actually enjoyed him a lot, and we enjoyed our conversation, and we think he's a, a very smart and a, and a good dude. And I think it would be surprising for a lot of people to know how involved he is in different charity organizations. So uh, genuinely wanted to give him a shout out here because um, uh, we, we, we like Spice Dog a lot. And uh, yeah, when I saw his name on here, I was like, shit, I can't not let this go. I think you just keep wanting to say Spice Dog. Yeah, I got to get, it's not that. It's mostly, Spice Dog's going to do Spice Dog things. Okay? It's mostly that. Well, look, there's either you like things uh, with, with nothing spicy on them, or you like you like a spice dog, and that's that's up to you, you know. Um, the <laughs> the devil's I'll in step the details. Aside from that one. You guys can have the your devil's own in the details. You know what I'm saying? So, and it's D A W G on that. Oh one yeah, don't for, misspell it. Yeah, obviously. don't miss. Don't go D O G. It's D A W G for spice dog there. So feel free to reach out to him. But uh, now is the point in the show we get to the drinking bro of the week, which is someone who has inspired you or helped you become the person you are today. Who would you like to give the drinking bro of the week to? Oh my gosh, you guys are just gonna pop that on me. Uh, well, we've done it, you know, what, 1,500 times yeah. at this point? Drinking so. bro of the week. You know, I guess I'll just give a shout-out to my best friend back in Vegas. So he and I, uh, you know, he, he's a prior Navy veteran myself. We both joined the military at high school. Uh, used to come back together every every chance we had to in, in Vegas, and we'd do our little our little Vegas drink. We'd do a Jaeger on the rocks with a splash of water. And a oh, there you go. That's every, intense. Every time. Yeah. That's intense. Yeah, so my buddy JR. <laughs> JR is my uh, JR Vincent. I can taste it. In the I know. As soon as you said it, I could smell it. I could uh, smell the Jaeger, and I was like, oh, yeah. fuck. I do it every once in a while and uh, send him a picture of it just to kind of bring us back to where we used to be. So now it's all good. That's great. Um, and then lastly, obviously, uh, you were a cop. What do you think of this dick broom that's on my face? Because a lot of cops have mustaches. I want to get a, a dick broom rating. This out is going to get me in trouble, but the first thing I thought of when I saw that mustache, I thought you were a fireman. Oh, well. You can just say gay. It's, it's fine. God damn it, man. Yeah. What the fuck? I'm sorry. I didn't know how to take it. It means I'm gay? Yeah, well. It's just. All right, so let's, let's take uh, it a fi- step further. Fire, fireman is just a euphemism for gay. Let's be real. Okay, all right, yeah. let's take it a step further. I just want to point this out. I did not say that. I, I just said you look it's like a fireman. Said that. Right. Yeah, it was Dan who said that for sure. But uh, <laughs> would I at least be a, a top? Like, is it a top mustache for, for a fireman? <laughs> I just I need to know that just so I can live out my life normally. <laughs> I don't have an opinion on that. <laughs> <laughs> you son of a bitch. We've been hanging out for a couple yeah, hours yeah, now, and it's no, like, sorry, you don't man. have an opinion on whether I'd be a top or not? I can't, I can't push that, now. God no, damn it. USOB. <laughs> uh, tell everybody out there where they could uh, find the Independence Fund, uh, how to donate, and what you guys are looking for right now. Yeah, so go to the independencefund.org. Okay. Uh, you can find all of our resources, or at least all of our programs on there. Um, we have many different openings, so if you have have a heart of service, which is really what we're looking for. Somebody who has a, a service heart wants to go out and serve veterans, serve their community, because this is really not just a North Carolina issue. This is an entire country and, and you know world issue, if you mm-hmm. will. We've got veterans living all over the world. Um, so yeah, if you've got a service heart, come to our, our uh, website, 
look at our openings. But if you've also got individuals that need service, if you've got a, a family member or even yourself that maybe uh, what you've heard here today would, would help you, come on over. Let us help. Let us, let us at least try. Absolutely. Uh, and it's the independencefund.org. Uh, they're taking donations. There's a ton of job openings as well. Uh, you guys are expanding rapidly. And I think what you guys are doing um, for our, uh, our veterans and, and everything else is, is truly amazing. So thank you for being here today yeah. and carving time out of your schedule to, to do it. Hey, I, I appreciate you guys having me. Mm-hmm. I, I know I was short uh, in the beginning, but this has been really an awesome, awesome opportunity for us to really uh, talk about our programs and to make sure that people out there understand what the independence fund is yeah. and why we do what we do. Well, yeah. you know, for us, you know, drinking bros, and we've been doing this for so many years, we do a ton of crazy episodes and I'm, I'm sure you've heard them as well, but we also get a gigantic response when we do episodes like this uh, as well. Uh, when Dan did that panel live in Vegas, um, a ton of people hit us up and uh, so when we got here and we knew we had a chance to sit down with you potentially, we were like, hey, let's just let's get it on the books and do this um, because it is important. And we're not all about uh, dicks and buttholes all the time on Drinking Bros. Sometimes we actually do some good and uh, and we appreciate you being here. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Uh, again, go to the independencefund.org. Uh, donate if you can, uh, if you're looking to help out in any way or get involved. Uh, all the info is on their website. Man, I'm, a, I'm having a hard time even saying the words, you know? Well, good luck saying this dude's name. I'm not doing it. God, I'm not doing it. Try it. Nick. And it's... Yep. What's the last name? Nope. Nope. So, Nick, I fucked this up. Every show we do, mm-hmm. I get I get the the person's name wrong. Okay, I'm not doing it. You say it. no. Say it. Yeah, it's Armanderas. There it is. Just Nick re- Armanderas is here. Just repeat it. You I just, just did. Yeah. So what? Nick Armanderas is here. Let's see this beautiful man. Let's that was a lot him. of build up for no fucking follow through. Ah, I feel I I feel like he's gonna bring it today. That's all right. Yeah, I got you. I feel like you're gonna bring it today. Apologize about the voice. I was out with your cohort last night at Benihana. Oh, nice. Until till midnight. We split a fishbowl together. Two straws. I drank one, he drank the other. You didn't share? Yeah, we shared it. Well, I mean, same straw. Yeah. That's how you know you're real, bros. Oh, uh, no, it's too far apart. Uh, We're too far apart the, the, the table, but it was nice. You just got off a cruise. I'm sure you had about 80 of those. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a pretty pricey bar tab. You know, fifteen dollars a drink is like being in Vegas, but on the yeah, water. They give you that uh, all inclusive bracelet, but it's never all inclusive, is no, it? No, no, fifteen drinks, and you know, I felt compelled to, uh, you know, push the limit. Yeah, drink fifteen more. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think uh, the last cruise we were on was for the show, and they just kind of slide it under your door. It's like a bracelet, like the one I'm wearing now from the golf tournament last night. Mm-hmm. You just kind of swipe it, and you don't think about it. Yeah. Everything's fine. And then you get the bill at the end of the trip, and you're like, holy shit, how big was yours? Uh, it was pretty pricey. I mean, it was uh, just under 1200 So oh. I, I probably should have gotten the, uh, the all-you-can-drink yeah, well, I, I, was, I didn't, you know, I didn't anticipate drinking that much. I was up around 1700 Yeah, it was, nice. it was nasty. It was a nasty bill. Yeah. I was like, this sucks. But we had a great time. It is. It is a good time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a weird, eclectic mix of people, though. Oh, yeah. Right? It's Who's like, on yours? Uh, it was a pretty moderate age group from everybody from, you know, early 20s through, you know, the old folks running around on their little rascal scooters just kind of beeping around. So Yeah. 
You ever thought about pushing one of those fuckers into the pool? Uh, a few times. I think they should put a ramp on the fucking front of the on the ship, so they could just drive. I mean, it's like uh, uh, at the stoop in Viking culture. When you become too old that you're a drain on society, you just jump off a fucking cliff, right? Yeah. So old people riding rascal scooters off the edge of a cruise ship—that sounds dope to me. It sounds amazing. It is. It is. It Plus, sounds amazing. We can get Nitro Circus to sponsor the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, right. yeah, let's black, do it. Black Rifle yeah. brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee. Hard AF right yeah. on the side of the cruise ship. Zoom. Let's do it. There you go. Let's zoom Official into space. sponsor of all future cruises. Yeah, dude. There you go. I mean, look, if, if you're going to die on a cruise ship, let's face it. You want to see some logos in front of your face before Absolutely. you die. You want to see advertising all the way up until the second your eyes close. Exactly. And that's it. Uh, so you work for the Independence Fund? Yes, sir. So I'm the uh, mobility program manager at the Independence Fund. Um, I've been there for about four years now, and I've pretty much enjoyed every second of it. What is a mobility program manager? So uh, we work with the veterans that are in our space and wounded, injured, and ill veterans. So I run the track chair program mm-hmm. as well as our TIF tactical program and getting those that do have are catastrophically wounded into track chairs, which is basically a wheelchair with tank treads mm-hmm. souped up and on steroids and getting them out to get out to places where they may not have been able to go previously or where the limitations of their little rascal scooter couldn't get them. Um, and then our TIF tactical programs, a newer program that we had started a couple years going now. Um, so bringing guys in and getting them out shooting, hunting, uh, fishing, and just back into the outdoors. It's kind of a pseudo adaptive sports and getting guys back reengaged with nature, you know, maybe uh, finding a new tribe or getting a part you know, opening up doors to them that they may not have known existed. Um, and for you personally, what made you want to do it? Um, as far as coming to TIFF, you know, it's it's a long story going back. But, you know, once the uh, – I, I originally was working directly for the CEO and then ran some operations. And when the uh, whole mobility program opened up, that was kind of a shoe-in to get back in more one-on-one within the veteran space and being a veteran myself you know getting back there with the guys that i had served with and and helping them out and you know it so it's it's pretty cool job it's it's an awesome job man i i I mean it's it's very uh fulfilling and and you know a a renewed sense of purpose in that regard so were you military yes sir so i was uh i served in the uh 173rd and uh Early, well, 2007, 2009, and then I was 82nd Airborne Division after that. Uh, deployed with both units multiple times, so came back and, you know, got out, had my own demons that I had to face on my own, and, um, you know, for several years of a spiral, and then I kind of actually reconnected, getting back out into nature, climbing and hiking, and then so I went through... Uh, a uh, course up in Washington State doing uh, mountaineering, so alpine mountaineering and technical leadership. So I stayed up there, climbed Mount Baker, did a few other as- ascents, uh, ice climbing, top rope, and and uh, crevasse rescue and all that. It was just kind of the uh, the gas that I needed, um, you know, at that time to kind of fill that fill that gap of you know what am I doing right now and how can I make you know, put something positive into, if, I, if I'm going to go out there and do dumb shit, I might as well, you know, do it in a positive mm-hmm. way or something that's more fulfilling. Uh, and like, uh, it scratched that itch of, uh, manliness that needs to be challenged without making it self-destructive. It's probably a good idea. Absolutely. Right? Cause Absolutely. otherwise we're just going to try to drink and do feats of strength and shit. 
Yeah. Which is, you know, fun sometimes, well, but you, you, need you can't, that too. You can't yeah. do it every day. Yeah. Otherwise, you'll be a piece of shit. So Absolutely. Absolutely. You look like a piece of shit in real life. I know. I, uh, like, I'm I, looking I, at all I, your I, shit right here, and it's like, dude, you've you fucked some shit up in your day, haven't you? Complete degenerate. You know, <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it was, I've had a good time, you know, it's been a, it's been a hell of a roller coaster, but you know, you, you learn from the experiences and, uh, gain wisdom from that. So, uh, you know, hopefully I can pass that off to my son one day and, uh, you know, tell him, Hey man, I know what you're doing. I know where you're going and, uh, you're probably not going to do much that I haven't done. So, you know, cause I've been there, done that. So what's the craziest shit you ever done? Uh, I don't know. Uh, well, I would say jumping out of airplanes at one point, but, you know, when you're sitting on the side of, like, you know, uh, an ice ice face and ice climbing and digging these little screws into the side of ice and clipping in, and that's all you got, um, it's a lot. But, you know, there's definitely times where I was on the side of a mountain or getting, to, you know, getting in position and climbing up, and you're looking down, and it's like, man, what the fuck am I doing here right yeah, now? Yeah, why and, do and, it? And you, but, you know, you have no choice but to either, you can either, uh, you know, bitch out or you can continue to climb and so and that's kind of you know metaphorically for life it's like you know it's uh hey it may be hard right now but just push forward just push forward because there's no going back you know? i want to dig into this dude uh bad yeah. i fucking told a story on on our patreon episode about mountain climbing mm. are you into mountain climbing it sounds like you are ice I, climbing yeah, all yeah. That, all when, that shit. when i can do it you know uh when i'm able to get out there and have the free time to get out there there's nothing more that i love than going out and and climbing no fucking way dude what what is it can i ask i've got to know what that uh, is i think it's just the peace the peace of the outdoors and it's just you know it's very mission driven mission focused you don't have you know all the worries and concerns of the world go away in a way i'd almost compare it to like you know uh what you say about being deployed you know you only get it's a very mission focused and you're just out there and you don't have to worry about anything i mean your bills everything's taken care of back home as long as you got you know you may have a solid old lady but if you don't then you know that you just deal with that when you get back um and but, but you, you might die up there yeah, that's so true. I, I did an episode yeah again on patreon i forget how long ago it was there was a, a firefighter mm-hmm. who had passed away rock climbing and I was like, why the fuck is any grown man rock climbing at this point in their life when it can just be over like that? And that's it. And then you just fell off the side of a mountain. Well, who cares? You don't know that you're dead. Yeah. Is that what it is? Uh, I mean, at that point, you do, it's one of those things you just don't think about. You know, I mean, I, there, there's, you know, those, those, those fleeting moments where it comes by you. And like I said, you're like, man, what, what am I doing right now? Uh, I could be sitting home, sitting on the couch watching TV, but you know what, man, I could sit, be sitting home on the couch watching TV, eating chips and stuff in my face and, you know, die of a heart attack. I could walk out the door and, you know, a plane engine falls on me or get into a car crash or something along those lines. You know, you're never guaranteed tomorrow. So why not live to the most for today? That's nuts, dude. I mean, nuts. I quit playing like simple shit just for, from fear of blowing out an ACL where I was just like, I'm fucking too old to do that shit. I can't do it anymore. Yeah. And you're still mountain climbing? Like I say, yeah, every time I every time I get the chance, it's and it's not just, you know, climbing mountains, it's it's everything, you know, and uh to a degree even, you know, I, I think I found a new hobby, unfortunately too, is is scuba diving while I was out on that cruise, you know, just the peace and serenity of being down there. It's just you and you know, like I said, very mission focused, very like linear. You don't have to think all the other problems just kinda fleet away and it's just very it's peaceful. You're at peace. You know, it's nice to not have to think about stuff sometimes, you know. Again, dude, I'm going to go back to it. Mountain climbing. You got to mm-hmm. think about it. 
I got you got to think about it the whole fucking time that you're going to die. <laughs> Scuba diving, you could die. I, do you know that all those murders right now, that's what they're doing. The the women are clipping their husbands, the rich husbands, down, down. scuba diving. Yep. Smart. <laughs> Smart. There's no cameras and shit. <laughs> I know. Was, yeah. You can just clip it. Just went wrong. Yeah. And boom, you're dead. Yeah. You're fucking dead, dude. Too, again, I love it. I love that you love to do it. Yeah. Too dangerous sports, but man, fuck that. <laughs> I just, like, if it's not inside a gym, I can't even risk it i'm like nah not worth it you know well, that's where you know that's kind of the brakes is uh you know you got your gas and you got your brakes you know and it's uh it's kind of that uh the yin and yang you know i i, I found my brakes a lot in in yoga when i'd gotten into that and just kind of slowing down being in the moment and, yeah and uh you know i'd gotten into that with another buddy um so like yoga jiu-jitsu uh, things like that yeah. i understand yeah um but the fucking rock climbing bro you're gonna die oh I'm sure. Have you, uh, have you have you been on a rock face and taking a shit? Like an actual shit or yeah. actually falling off like, uh, no, like, no, no, I've not yet. I haven't see, done, been on any big walls like that, but I've definitely gotten to the top and topped out and had to, uh, you know, taking that, shit up top. That's the only reason I would do it. Yeah. I would clip my feet up as well and just, just let it go. It's a, so I've thought about it. It depends on what kind of dump it is. It doesn't matter to no, me. No, it does. If it fucking splattered and then you got to walk around with that. No, you've got like wet wipes and shit. Uh, just, do you have wet wipes up you there? Just wet wipe it I mean, up. You bring, and then, you bring whatever you want yeah. up with you. You know, All right, if I could wet wipe it up, then I'm fine with and then it. Then you throw those down into the valley as well. But a, a dream would be just a hard one two, you yeah. know, deuce where it's just just a clean break. Just two fucking dill pickles in a jar where you're just like, oh shit, this is awesome. And then just to see it because you want that weight. Right from however high. I mean, up it you would are. be nice if it fell on a fucking bird nest to get them back for all the shits they've taken on us over the years. Yes, that would be great. Yeah. Or just a as, passerby. As a matter of fact, I might start doing that. Yeah, you can. I might start shitting in birds' nests. <laughs> you can. Why not? Yeah. I mean, they've been harassing us for years. Man, but just a nice clumpy hard deuce, just boom, right out, nuking people. Well, now that's a that's a new goal I got now. Well, I'm inspired. Yeah, feet on the ground. Reaching for the stars, and you'll do it. Yeah. You'll do it. Uh, how long have you been working for the Independence Fund? Uh, so I've been here for, in April, four years now. Um, I said I, I started just after um, one of our Operation Resiliency retreats and uh, came on board. And like I said, I, I worked with the CEO for a little while, ran operations for a little while, and then uh, moved into mobility. And I don't plan on going anywhere for you know the time being or and you were you a participant in one of the operas events yeah so uh i was it was the inaugural operas it was off our company from the 82nd bravo company mm-hmm. 2508 and so you know um i remember kind of getting the call about this this thing that was going on and bringing back you know it was you know bringing back all the guys from our unit getting them all centralized you know flying us out putting us up room and board for a weekend and i was like man that's gonna be great you mm-hmm. know some of these guys i hadn't seen for 10 years you know um you, you get out or get back from deployment so you know as you know you know people just kind of go the different directions the four winds and some guys ets some pts or pcs and you just never really see them again and um you know so having the chance to reconnect after you know a deployment such you know like that one it was um you know, there, there's a lot of like unfinished, you know, hugs mm-hmm. and, and, you know, moments and laughter to share with each other that, you know, everybody gets back from deployment. And I, I think you, uh, 
or me, for instance, you know, I, I didn't appreciate the fact of, you know, being around all those guys, you know, when we were there, it was just, you know, you're still in the army, mm-hmm. still, you know, taking that big green weenie for a while. And, and, you know, you're disenfranchised or disgruntled coming back from deployment or pissed off at the world going off wherever, you know, and business continues as usual. So you never really get that time to, you know, just sit back and, you know, think about what just happened or, you know, talk to your boys about it because they've all gone off. And now you got all these new guys that you're training and preparing for the next fight. And, and so you're staying mission focused with that. And that's kind of your purpose, you know, driven thing for the, for a while. So, you know, being able to get back with those guys 10 years later and reconnect and, you know, sit there for four days and go through, you know, some unpacking of some baggage through some of the workshops that they would offer. And then going out, we did it in Charlotte. So we went out to the whitewater center, went whitewater rafting. It was, I mean, it was a great time. We had guys that had been blown up using their, their legs as paddles, um, <laughs> You know, so it was uh, all around. I mean, it was it was great. So it was it was nice to just reconnect and unpack some of that baggage and really just, hey man, are you okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, because um, you know, for you know, throughout, you know, the Facebook and social media and stuff is you know, in, in great in some aspects, but you also can see where you know some of your buddies are falling off, and you know, you want to reach out to them, or you know, should I reach out to them, or maybe I'm being a bitch by reaching out to them, or you know. How would I take it if somebody reached out to me at the t- at, at my moments of like you know spiraling and said, "Hey man, you know reel it in," you know, and I, and I know that looking back, I probably had guys that were doing that, but you know you're not listening, you don't give a shit, yeah. So um, you're just doing your thing. So, um, but it was nice. I mean, ten years later, we're all a little bit more mature, a little bit wiser. You know, I mean, and thinking back of you know even guys as you know far as our command team, you know, now I'm at the age that they were leading us into, you know, some of the fights and to the AOs that we were in and to have that kind of burden of, um, maybe not burden, but that, that weight on your shoulders of, you know, keeping this whole company of guys alive. And you're 31 at the time, 32 as a, you know, maybe as a first Sergeant. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot to think about and, you know, it, uh, you know, it puts a lot of more humanity, just maybe some mm-hmm. of the leadership that you had that, you you know, you may have looked at differently back then. So, yeah, because yeah, back then they're just a couple of fucking old cocksuckers that are telling Absolutely. you what to do all the time. Absolutely. I mean, shit. Talk to me about cutting my hair. This. Yeah. Right? It's like, yeah. come on, man. Stay off the grass. Like, fuck you. dude. Yeah. Especially while you're deployed. You know, everybody hates getting drilled mm-hmm. and beaten up over, you know, uh, army regulations while you're deployed. But yeah. So. It is what it is. They got to do what they got to do. And, you know, you realize that later on going forward. But, you know, at that point, fuck it, you know. So. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite part of the program? Um, honestly, the, the whole thing in its entirety, I, I don't know that I could really pinpoint any one thing. You know, um, I would say the workshops do. Um, they are run by a clinician. And, 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 it, and it's geared towards helping you kind of unpack some of that baggage. You sit down in your your groups and your teams of um, of your previous squad that you were in and sit there and kind of, hey, you remember that one mission, this happened or that happened, and, and you go through and you, you know, everybody just kind of sits around, unpacks it, walk through, walk through it, you know, express it to the group and and just, you know, this is how I felt about these and, you know, why did we do that? You get a lot more of the whys now that you didn't have then, you know, where you're like, why the fuck are we going out on another mission at 2 a.m.? Like, I just got back from one or, you know, 
why 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 did you tell me that when I came back in the wire knowing that you know we had just lost somebody I wanted to you know rip your jugular out yeah. you know so um you get you get to unpack a lot of that and learn a little bit more about it, and you know it just builds a different kind of sense and viewpoint of looking at it, and um, you know, and then you know it's more intimate than when you were in the army with these guys, and you're sitting there like, ah, man, stop being such a bitch. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, get it together. You know, buckle up. We got we got shit to do. So mm-hmm. you know, stuff your sorries in a sack and your feelings in a sack, and and drive on. Um, but so I think that was, it was a, it was a pretty great moment being able to do all that. Um, and then some of the other culminating events and just being able to get out there and have fun again with everybody, you know, I mean, the, the whole thing was just focused around getting the family back together and being that family and then charging everybody with, you know, you are your brother's keeper as, as cliche as it is. And it's been said a million times and stuff, you know, nobody's going to look out for us better than, you know me and this guy who, you know, sitting in, sitting in a, you know, fighting position together, walking through minefields together, getting shot at together, you know, uh, I got your back then, you know, you got my back now and stuff. And, and even though we're thousands of miles apart, you know, we still call and check in. And I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, having that sense of purpose or that tribe and, you know, that community of dudes that you may have lost and stuff. Cause like everybody knows, you know, you, kind of hang up that uniform of who you were and all these you know ribbons and decorations and everything when you get out and uh, I went you know straight to college and was just around a bunch of kids I was like man fuck all these guys Mm -hmm. uh it's just different you know uh how old were you when you got to college I was uh 30 31 okay when I was when I was going back is that wild it was uh interesting especially going to like a local community college there in uh Fayetteville um so it was different. It was a different animal. And now I'm sitting, you know, in this classroom setting again, which was half the reason I joined the Army was because I did not want to be in school anymore and didn't see, you know, a future in going to college or anything. So, uh, um, but, so it was interesting. And, you know, uh, I was able to buckle down a little bit more and, and get everything squared away and just drive through. But, you know, it was, it was just different, you know, going from one extreme to the, to the other. And sitting around with like you know groups of kids that have just no idea, and that's not their fault. But you know it's just uh, it's a whole different perspective on life, you know. And and you know only that we only know, or you know, select few, you know, combat veterans, veterans, or you know whoever just know about. So right on. Well, look, uh, for us in this show, uh, everybody who comes on, we give out this thing called the drinking bro of the week, which is someone who has inspired you or helped you become the person you are today. Mm-hmm. Who would you like to give the drinking bro of the week to? Oh, man. Somebody who's inspired me. I would say, man, um, and, and it's not so much out of left field, but I'd say it's my buddy, uh, Alex Draghi. So he was, uh, my squad leader while I was deployed. And then I had moved companies. He ended up getting blown up on our, our last deployment, lost both legs, but the positivity and his attitude that he's had has kind of been a driving force, but you know, I mean, he, he lost a lot, you know, and, and, uh, you know, his, his positivity has just never faltered. And it's something I've always admired, you know, cause I was never able to, you know, maintain that positivity. And I know he, he struggled for a little bit as well, but you know, he kind of came out the other side of it for the better and he's doing great now. And he's always been an inspiration to me. I mean, he was, like I said, he was a great leader for me and he was a great role model while I was coming up in the ranks as, as well. And, uh, 
and you know to see him still you know being so positive and he's got his farm in california where he's doing all his his shit and stuff and uh just living his life to the best you know and uh and he doesn't you know if if he is negative he keeps it to himself you know i've never heard him say a negative word about his situation or anything like that and you know for the most part like i don't even consider you know looking at it as as much of a situation from the outside it doesn't you know it doesn't look like it 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 gets in his way or you know it holds him back and so like i said i've always kind of admired that that's awesome cheers uh tell everybody where they can find uh the independence fund and uh, and how to get a hold of you absolutely so you go to uh the website is independencefund.org uh from there if you're interested in applying for mobility or various other programs that we got you can uh, go to the links there send in your application uh from that point you know i'll you know we have a team that reviews the applications i'm one of them uh and i'll just be reaching out to you from there so um you know my my email's on the website as well so you could go direct to me and, and i'll help you out with whatever you need and put you in the right place perfect say his name no yep you gotta say you gotta sign off with his name it's armanderas there it is nick it's, it's real easy it. <clears throat> nick armanderas nailed it it's been a pleasure sir pleasure absolutely god i got it right didn't i congratulations yeah thank you thank you i've earned it yeah. i've earned it there you go <clears throat> appreciate you tuning in kids go to itunes and rate the show a five star and leave a quick review head on over to spotify just a five star and you can walk away from your life all right for d'anthony d'anthony holloway i'm ross patterson this is the drinking bros podcast good night everyone